course. And you know uh, Pepe at the bar and uh, Vince. And of course you know Jack uh, really well. What about that little lady who you gave a Coke bottle to for a nose? Is she still walking around? That's supposed to be some kind of smart remark. No, no, no. Don't misunderstand me. I didn't mean nothing smart by it. He doesn't think I'm smart. No. Nobody's laughing. Didn't we do this before? Yes, we did. But I'm glad you asked me about Joanne. Vince, be so kind. Yes, sir. See, what we have here is a problem in communication. I knew it from the beginning. I mean, I don't hear from you anymore. I don't get a phone call. I mean, not so much as a, a postcard. What's the matter? Where's the money? I don't got it. That's the truth. everybody welcome to episode 129 of vague zone i am daniel i'm thomas and today we are discussing 1973's the long goodbye this is our second movie should have been our third movie um when it comes to detective stories but uh yeah we lost an episode so <laughs> thomas before we get into the long goodbye uh will you read for us the mdb synopsis Sure thing, The Long Goodbye, directed by Robert Altman. Private investigator Philip Marlowe helps a friend out of a jam, but in doing so gets implicated in his wife's murder. Cool. Uh, yes. So this was your choice. Yes, it was. Um, I just really didn't know anything about The Long Goodbye. Um, I knew it was kind of a acclaimed story. I know Philip Marlowe is this... Uh, detective who has recurred throughout, you know, movie history based on a, a you know, a, a, from a series of novels. But uh, yes. yeah, hadn't seen it, didn't know anything about it, just knew that it was acclaimed and figured uh, might as well give it a shot. Um, but yeah, did you know anything about this movie going into it? No, uh, not too familiar with like the classic uh, noir fictions by a. Uh... Robert Shan, uh, sorry, Raymond Chandler, who did, uh, who wrote The Big Sleep, is another mm-hmm. big, famous noir uh, story, um, another classic like Hollywood film, made in '46 and then made again in 1978. Um, yeah, I didn't know too much about this, um, but I was very excited to watch it, and I was very happy to be watching it once I started playing it once the movie once like got into it i was very happy to be watching it i was like this is a great choice um as far as mysteries goes it does feel like a a loose noir very hazy set in los angeles kind of vibe um which i like um yeah it's very peculiar and very odd and very uh very loose and free form which i do appreciate um yeah i had a great time watching this and yeah like yeah, i sort of had no really no real connection to this movie except for one thing which i will mention later um but yeah i think i think this is great i i'm a big fan of uh what elliot gold is doing here i think his performance is is fantastic um and yeah i just like the feel of it i know in the past you've mentioned an appreciation for the aesthetic that film on celluloid tends to offer when you have these older films from this generation from like the 60s and 70s and this is definitely one of those films where it feels like you can feel the grit of the 35 millimeter and just the the it just it doesn't feel glamorous even it feels lovely in its own way but it feels like a a very grimy sort of 
drudge through this mystery and it all works i really enjoyed it uh, what, what were your thoughts after watching um yeah i really liked elliot gold um just his voice um the way he sort of talks to himself throughout the movie um and then the only song we really get we, well we get two songs we get um the hollywood <laughs> like that sort of song yes and then we have just variations on this song the long goodbye and it just gives this and that's most of what we get is these variations on the long goodbye and especially early on you're getting these uh sort of jazzier takes on it uh, one of the early versions almost sounds like a tom waits singing or something but um i don't know it gives this this sort of the, the vibe that we kind of that i feel like i associate with film noir um yeah but it's not i i, I haven't dug too far into the noir genre so watching this i feel like i'm missing out on a lot of the context i haven't seen the big sleep i haven't seen any other Marlowe movies i know there was a, an, an attempt to uh reboot the Marlowe character i think within the last couple of years with liam neeson and it it looked fucking horrible apparently it bombed um <laughs> but uh yeah just like getting into the vibe of this movie with that sort of you mentioned like the dirty aesthetic uh, and like this sort of jazzy soundtrack and Elliot Gould's just sort of a very cool way of speaking. Um, I don't know. It worked so well yeah. just to like get me into it. Uh, this sort of dirty LA. All of, he, he, he lives next door to all these, uh, you know, hot women who are, you know, walking around topless and stuff. And yeah. it's this weird sort of collision between, the noir detective and the sort of uh i don't know the changing times of like the 60s and 70s um definitely and, yeah yeah go ahead sorry there's a moment in the like the, the, the like I, I will say i was smoking weed while i was watching this and i think that helped in a, in a way to help me connect with the aesthetic uh, and the feel of the movie, but definitely disconnected me from the plot of the movie because as he meanders through this sort of this uh this plot and this connection with like um with sort of the setup that happens after he takes his friend on a, a trip down south to Tijuana he so he's arrested and things sort of snowball and he's he gets hired for another mystery and things kind of he like meanders through this like this little dual mystery of like what happened to his friend and what ha like what's happening with this mystery and I just want to mention, I really enjoyed, there's a scene, like, later on when he, there's this author that he's sort of, like, hunting down, and he finds this author, but he goes to, like, this rehab clinic, and I just liked how serene and, like, lush and green the, the rehab clinic looked, but it's clearly something, like, dark happening under here, because when we finally, we see the, uh, the author, um, by the name of, uh, Roger, Roger's having this conversation, and he's getting he's like getting berated over like four hundred dollars to to pay, and I was sort of confused. I was like, "What's going on? Like, why is this guy like berating him?" But it, it gets more clear later on. Um, but yeah, I do like just like that visual clash of yeah. It just feels like he, when he's searching through the rehab clinic, he's just like wandering through like this very beautiful, lush like campus, and I just liked how like green it looked. But it's clearly something dark happening there. Yeah, it almost feels like. I don't know. It kind of gave me cult vibes. It's not that's not what it's doing at all, but it's really just there. I don't know. I guess ca yeah. cults kind of do that. They 
separate you from your loved ones and your your friends to they want to isolate you so that they can control you and i feel like yeah within this uh sort of rehab center he's isolating himself and they are attempting to take advantage of him i think although he does have a very serious drinking problem that does need resolving so definitely yeah yeah now what do you make of uh sterling hayden as roger is this a uh, big Henningway like author. Um, I was reading that he actually was drunk for a lot of his performance, <laughs> and that he like improvised a lot of stuff. Um, I think it's a fucking great performance, and I think, like, I wouldn't have guessed that any of this was improvised. I think all of it works really well. Um, yeah, we do get these moments where he's kind of a he's a he's a bit of a yeah he's a violent drunk, uh, yeah. violent and uh confrontational drunk and um hopefully he wasn't really like that but he, he's selling it very well yeah. how about yeah, you it just feels like such a big on-screen personality like the way like, she describes him like uh sorry she being um nina van palant as uh, eileen wade she's sort of she's worried that her husband her husband is an eccentric uh, author and he's usually doing eccentric things but he is been bad at responding and she hired she hires marlo to go find him and when he does like he like he just feels like such a big personality on screen and one thing that stuck out to me is when he finally gets back to like their beachside house he's like agitating their dog he's like kind of just, like getting in the dog's face and like just not being like rough with it but just like sort of just, like getting in the dog's face and it's like like i don't know it just felt, that felt natural in in a weird kind of way and yeah, he's like call, calling him uh, Marlboro, and it's just this. It's a very lovely scene on the beachside, but yeah, there's like just drinking, and it just feels like yeah, very natural. And so I'm not yeah, not surprised it's improvised, but I'm, yeah, definitely wasn't aware of it while watching. Just I was sucked in and just kind of feeling it. What he reminds me of is he reminds me of Bluto from Popeye, which is funny because Robert Altman made the Popeye movie. Um. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's true. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Apparently, Robert Altman. I don't know too much about him as like a filmmaker. Um, like, I haven't seen like Mash or Nashville, but I do like ensemble casts, and that seems to be like a thing he's into. Yeah, I've seen I've seen McCabe and Miss Miller, which I don't really remember too much of. I think I was too young for it. I've seen Shortcuts. I've definitely seen Popeye. I grew up watching Popeye. Um, but yeah, I don't think I've seen much else from him. Um, yeah, I definitely did a little mini deep dive into MASH and the, the seasons of MASH after <laughs> watching this movie. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of really interesting things about this film and a lot of things that like make it fun to watch and kind of go on to this journey. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up is the character marty augustine what do you think about him marty augustine you know the little gangster yeah. um okay so that's an interesting performance too uh because he is very intimidating and we get this moment of extreme violence in the movie that is actually very shocking because up until so, so we get this moment where he like smashes a bottle it, that, that's what it is right he smashes a bottle in his girlfriend's face um yeah. Up until this point, we've kind of had this sort of meandering, kind of hip, kind of funny uh, detective story. 
And when we get this moment of violence, it's very shocking and it makes you, I, I don't know, it's disturbing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it made me wonder like okay where is this movie going because it feels it feels out of place in a good way uh but um okay. as far as as far as the performance go goes um or the character goes i really love the scene where later on contrasted against this violence later on he's asking marlo to strip down uh to yeah. bear himself before them and marlo's resistant he doesn't want to do it and so he uh okay i'm forgetting the character's name already what's his name uh marty augustine yeah marty marty insists okay well we'll strip down (laughs) and like he has like his whole gang stripped down um which is an interesting power dynamic um and it turns it makes the scene feel incredibly intimidating but also kind of comedic um like Definitely i don't know comedic like <laughs> considering uh spoilers considering uh, there is a, a very young arnold schwarzenegger in this scene also who gets no lines he's just there <laughs> just being flexing his, <laughs> flexing his pecs yeah being the strongest man in the world um but it is this interesting co- contrast because you're intimidated by him because you know what he can do you know he's a fucking monster but at the same time like if I was in in that situation, I, maybe I would feel a little more comfortable knowing that we're all kind of on the same page. Uh, granted, Ooh, yeah. granted, he is threatening to cut his dick off. <laughs> um, yes, yes. But yeah, I wasn't uh, a fan of the first scene. I think that was the only part of the movie that I wasn't like big on. Um, I, and most of this movie does kind of have a dingy, dark look to it. That I think that scene in particular just felt kind of muddy and. It, didn't like like least it just kind of it's like in his dark apartment and it just looks kind of ugly and then i wasn't quite buying marty as this gangster so i didn't quite buy the intimidation um up, up until we get this moment of harsh violence yeah which i uh, which did seem like a little like i don't know how i feel about it because yeah he like does it to uh does it to his girlfriend then he kind of makes a point it's like that's someone i care about now you're someone i don't care about and I yeah. imagine what i would do to you and i was just like well why didn't <laughs> sort of like a, it, that ex- explanation sort of didn't work for me even though I, I understand like the logic behind it i was just like that just didn't quite work as an intimidation or like yeah an intimidation technique um and then later on when she shows up like in the bandages like i don't know if this is supposed to be played up for laughs or not um but have you seen the poster for this movie that's uh, made by Jack Davis? The Mad Magazine illustrator? Yeah. Yeah. So I was reading about that. Um, I guess when they initially had released this movie, or maybe it was like a test screening or something, uh, it got really... It had a really poor uh, reaction. Um and so the studio thought, okay, perhaps we're mismarketing this. And so they called in the Mad Magazine illustrator to do a poster for it uh, so that they can market it as more of a comedy, I guess, rather than like a serious detective thriller or anything like that. Yeah. but <laughs> Interesting from yeah, a marketing perspective, because I, I think the, the, the poster is gorgeous and it has like these great little captions on it. So I recommend if you're listening to, to find the poster with the captions on it and read those little captions because they're fun um but yeah the, she's like running sc- like in the far right of the poster she's like running screaming with like the bandage over her face it, it 
looks like it's just like they're playing it for laughs and bad taste in a way that I feel like I'm not super <laughs> comfortable with. Yeah. But that aside, I just think that yeah, it is I think it is a very um it's very effective in showing how dangerous this world is. Um but yeah, that was just the only scene I don't like. I do love the contrast of that the follow up scene where we have yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in there sort of flexing his pecs and everyone's stripping down. It is weird. So I do like the contrast. It is weird that that scene, like the tension of the scene is diffused by what feels like a Deus Ex Machina, which is just like they want the money. Where the fuck is, is the money? You know, he has the thousand dollar bill, uh, yeah. which, you know, links him to this missing money. And then the money just shows up. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the, the plot is a little, uh, like, I wouldn't say convoluted, but it does. I felt like the plot was taking a back seat to just the aimlessness of the adventure because there's a detour in this movie when he's looking to find out what happened to Terry and he goes to Mexico and there's like this a shot where like the camera zooms in on oh, the dog or something. Yeah. <laughs> and when that happened, I was just like, oh, what is happening in this movie? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> It's like it's like this is a detective movie in form, but I feel like the details we seem to be focusing on are just completely taking me out of I it. There's also a, other ahead. random things that happen in this movie, like the like the naked girls, uh, the scene we have, like with the conversations with the the man at the gate doing impressions of actors, all of which is just completely flying over my head because I have no idea who he's referencing or supposed to be making Barbara fun Stanwyck of. and stuff. Yeah. I was just like, yes, these are these are definitely people and actors, but I have no idea who these actors are. Yeah, I think it's just to ground it in L.A., but then it it, it kind of leads you to the question of like, okay, well, what is this movie saying about Los Angeles? Like, why ground it in Los Angeles? Because that was one of the things they were thinking about when they made it was they wanted it to feel like this is a detective character from the 40s uh, who falls asleep and then wake up, wakes up, and it's like, uh, you know, the early seventies, late sixties, early seventies. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, that's why he's like chain smoking cigarettes. Yeah, he's like constantly wearing a suit. So. He's got that sort of like, uh, you know, jazzy drawl way of narrating his thoughts in life. Um, but he's in a town where you know you have these free spirit women next door. You have the guy doing impressions and it feels like there's some sort of political turmoil within the city yeah and i'm happy you brought that up because that's another note that stuck out to me was early on in in the first like 10 minutes of the movie or so where we we have this extended scene of philip going he wakes up and his cat doesn't have cat food he tries to make something and it's uh very not appetizing looking at least uh, for cat food standards maybe uh goes to the store has a conversation with a cleric and a cleric i love that, that. Yeah. what do i need it's a cat like, for yeah. i got a girl <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's awesome and then a few scenes later when he's sort of being released from prison after a really great interrogation scene that i will also want to mention i think is awesome just the way that it's shot um he's sort of this like yeah they have this cross where he's like he's being arrested i think he mentions that his girlfriend the clerk mentions that his girlfriend got arrested as well Mm. and i just love that it's just like this detail also the two there is the black clerk black girlfriend so i think it's cool that we sort of have this like very clear political 70s terminal happening and that's my mind is like just getting distracted by the red herrings i guess because that's what i was getting drawn into is those details and the details of like 
I don't know, like the people surrounding him. And it, I don't know, I guess I got lost in that. And I started to lose the plot a little bit of like the affair between Roger and this character who we never see, but the name of, um, is there, uh, not, is Terry's wife. Uh, yeah, Terry's wife. <laughs> yeah, Terry's wife who we never see. So that's also why I was a little like kind of lost. Um, yeah. Um, it's in my notes. It's just not. Sylvia. Sylvia, yeah, Sylvia Lennox. Yeah. Interesting choice, but yeah, it's just like, there's a lot of stuff kind of buzzing around the mystery, so I think I was just getting drawn into those details because it's such a great movie, 70s celluloid, 35 millimeter. I was just like, oh, I don't really care too much about like the affair and like this kind of thing. I don't know. How, what do you think about that? Uh, so I feel like one of the problems I have with the plot is okay so spoiler alert (laughs) um it turns out that eileen and terry are having an affair that is it roger that's his name right roger discovered this affair um and he was going to i guess reveal it to he went there to reveal it to sylvia terry kills sylvia because i think she was going to cause trouble regarding terry having uh, marty augustine's money yes um and then so terry flees so my question is okay why does eileen hire marlo terry's friend to find her husband like because if she doesn't do that then none of this none of this yeah. shit falls apart yeah like did she just not know that he was terry's friend yeah, maybe that. Yeah, I think that might be the best explanation. Um, because it feels like yeah. she's pulling him into a world where he, he, she's setting herself up, her and Terry up to have their plot unraveled. I guess. Uh, yeah, and then it's sort of capped, not really capped, it kind of crescendos in this moment. Another spoiler, uh, where Roger drunkenly walks into the, the ocean, ocean and yeah. commits suicide and i think is that just because the just devastated from the fact that all of this is going to come out and is going to continue to like spiral his life or he's gonna go money I, I was just like it's a very extreme action in the middle of like all of this stuff happening and then yeah again it's just like I, now i'm just like locked in on that now i'm just like fuck like a man just walked into the ocean like I guess it's just. <laughs> I, I guess it's because, like, one, he's an alcoholic. Two, he knows his wife has been cheating on him. Yeah. Three, he may be caught up in a murder <laughs> somehow. Yeah, yeah uh, it must be as easy as that. Yeah. But like, yeah, that's a wild scene because he's getting out there. Like they, yeah. like uh, Marlo and Eileen, like rush out to to try and save him, and you could still see him floating out there barely. It's just like. Um, what did I write? Right, I wrote like waves crashing, black void of an ocean, because it's all at night, <laughs> and yes, so it's yeah. like you just see him getting further and further out, smaller and smaller within this void. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting uh, visually. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, there's so many, There's a lot of moments like that in this movie. Like I said, the, maybe the dog humping moment isn't a great <laughs> shot to point out, but I do like that is a part of a very long sort of tracking shot of him like in a bus arriving yeah. into this town square in Mexico and getting out. And I was just like, this is fucking awesome. Like give me those long takes. Just give me this, just this wide shot of just him appearing into this environment. And yeah, I just really love the aesthetic and the visuals of it. And 
uh, definitely a movie I need to watch again to dive into the plot more. But yeah, I still, yeah, I feel like my relationship with this movie is just going to get deeper. <laughs> you know what it really reminded me of is uh, Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> like, yes, basically, yeah. as soon as I started watching it, I was like, oh, okay, this is where Cowboy Bebop is kind of coming from with its vibe. Yeah, definitely he looks like Spike for sure. And I feel like he has, like, this cool... It's like he... I don't know. Like, a lot of detectives, I feel like they have all the answers and you're waiting for them to reveal themselves. Um, And I feel like it's a similar thing here. Like, he's operating on this level of uh, confidence and, like, cool-headedness where it's as if he knows where everything's going to go. Like, you know, we talked about him... Uh, being threatened with having his dick chopped off. He's surprisingly cool-headed uh, in the face <laughs> yeah. of having his dick chopped off. He's, like, still making jokes and stuff. Um, yeah. I love the, the conversation. It's a very brief moment, but I think he's talking to Sylvia, and Sylvia's like, yeah, like, Terry killed himself, and he's like, I know he didn't, and then he sort of, like, ends the conversation very politely and just in a way of just, like, no, I'm, like, I believe what I believe in, like, the conversations over, he just, like, kind of, like, goes off, and that was, like, a nice, like, oh, yeah, he is, like, for sure, like, very hard, and then very dialed in on, like, proving this to be true, um, but, yeah, there's just, like, a lot of stuff kind of spinning around, and I also want to go back and mention the, um, the score, the score, like, changing and kind of shifting genres and performers mm-hmm. throughout the movie, I really, really enjoy that, and it's a fantastic song by, uh, John Williams, um, just recently saw Jaws oh, yeah. at the Alamo Draft House, and every <laughs> John, sorry, John Williams got bigger applause than Steven Spielberg, <laughs> and I thought that was fucking awesome. That's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else on what? Long Goodbye? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, I when I was living in Korea, I was listening to this MC by the name of JID quite a bit. JID is a rapper from Atlanta. He's affiliated with J. Cole. And if you didn't think the long goodbye had a connection to hip hop, oh boy, am I here to, to make those to connect the dots for you. That's that's basically what I'm here for, to put on this planet. This should just be a, re- <laughs> a recurring segment. <laughs> yeah. Um so basically while I was in Martin uh, sorry, when I was in Korea continually listening to and watching the music video for the JID song Off De Zoinkies. Off De Zoinkies is off of a mixtape called DiCaprio 2. And the the music video stars Ansel Elgort. And it's essentially the first, it's like a an homage slash remake of the first 10 minutes of, or the first five minutes of The Long Goodbye, of him waking up like a cat jumping onto him in bed, him chain smoking inside of his apartment making a bowl pouring a bunch of salt into it and then he goes out on the balcony then the rapper jid is across in the apartment with a bunch of naked beautiful women dancing and I, like i was like in love with this music video and i watched it constantly and then when i finally watched this movie instantly as soon as it started i was like holy shit like there is no way that <laughs> like this atlanta rapper sort of had this like connection and yeah it's it's really cool i think if you watch them it's um kind of cool that they do like a a futuristic thing with the music video where there's like futuristic technology like the his microwave is like this digital thing um the cgi isn't hasn't aged that great but it's still i think it's a cool concept cool homage so uh check out the music video off to zoinkies uh yeah it's 
it's really cool to kind of see those sort of connections uh, when they do appear. Um, yeah, once when it, when Elliot Gold woke up in the apartment, I was like, "Wow, this is just a, a crazy, strange huh. connection moment here." So, yeah, that's my final thoughts on the long goodbye. What have you been watching lately? Um, a bunch of things. I don't have like a list in front of me. Um, it's like I've been seeing most of the new things in theaters. Like I saw Dial of Destiny. I thought it was okay. It's kind of bombing and getting terrible reviews. Yeah. But I don't think it. I don't think it's as bad as the reviews that are coming in. I think it's a better Indiana Jones movie than Crystal Skull. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But I don't think that's saying much. I think. The original trilogy is still very much a very solid thing, and these last two little retreads have not been super worth it. But I think the idea and the concept of Dial of Destiny overall felt more solid and felt much more cooler than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I'm a big fan of Mads Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen is a, yeah. is a very good villain. And there's the twists and turns that it takes towards the final act of the movie. I, I enjoyed a lot. Um, but yeah, it is feeling, it is feel like kind of weird right now. Like the uh, Screen Actors Guild just announced they're going on strike yeah, yeah. like just earlier today. Um, it just, yeah, things feel sort of just kind of strange with Hollywood right now. It's just like, there's been a lot of great releases, a lot of really big things happening with movies this year. Fucking Barbie Oppenheimer thing is happening. In Barbie Oppenheimer. That's going to be fucking fun. Movie fans are eating. We've been eating very good all year. But it does feel weird that, like, yeah, like, there's this massive strike kind of happening. And there's, like, this uncertainty and unease dealing with AI. And the Wonka trailer just came out. And everyone's just like, this looks fucking dumb. Like, why are we doing this? Like, it's just... So, movies feel kind of weird right now. (laughs) Okay, what? yeah, what are your thoughts on that trailer? I guess, I mean, like, team... Joe, uh, what's his name? Joe King, John King, uh, something. Paul King. King. The, uh, Paul King, the amazing director from Paddington and Paddington 2. He, his resume is solid. Yeah. Resume is, is airtight. Uh, I'm not worried about the direction of that. I just think we don't really need a. Of course not. You know, uh, an origin story of Willy Wonka. Um, it just looks like it's, like, you know, kill a couple yeah, hours. Why'd you do but... this? <laughs> I don't know. Um,. I feel like, so after I saw that trailer, okay, like two things. One, Timothy Chalamet, totally miscast. Like, they clearly casted this guy because they thought he would put butts in seats, but I don't think he has the charisma for it. To play a young Wonka, you know, we're used to seeing Gene Wilder in this role. Like, I don't think anyone really touches that. Um, Two, I almost feel like what we're seeing with Timothy Chalamet's performance and maybe even with uh, Keegan-Michael Key, is uh, we're seeing British dialogue delivered with American accents, and I feel like perhaps it doesn't work. Uh, Maybe these lines would feel better if we heard them read with British accents. Uh, Maybe they would capture more of the whimsy that I think they're written for. I think... I just like the first line in the trailer when he says something about like stop that reverse it. First off, we've heard Gene Wilder say that before, and he he did fine, but I feel like I don't know. I'm just trying to imagine it with a British accent, knowing who's written it, hmm. and thinking it would probably work better. Um, yeah, I didn't have that thought 
did not have that thought. Yeah, maybe just try and imagine it next time you watch it or something. You're kind of freezing yeah. on me. I think I'm freezing yeah, on you Yeah, Timothy Chalamet too. is fine. I'm like, Can you hear me looking okay? forward to Dune's uh, the videos off, but I can still hear you. Okay, you're kind of lagging, I think. Okay. Let's just give it a second. That's why I need that new monitor. It's on the way. Okay, I can hear you fine. You're playing fine. I think my video probably just died. Okay. Um, well, yeah, it's like, I'm excited for Dune 2. I think that oh, yeah, will be a, a great time. Um, I, yeah, I was a big fan of Dune 1. I think Timothy Chalamet is a solid actor. But yeah, I think I, I sort of agree with you somewhat that could have found someone a little bit more charismatic, but I don't know who would be comparable as far as like a December release for such a big, big name thing. Like, who are the actors in their 20s? Tom Holland. Tom Holland. No, we've, he, we're overexposed. <laughs> Honestly, I think he would probably do a better job, but overexposed. Because it's like we need an actor who has like who's charismatic, who can do comedy. Like, who are the comedic actors in their 20s right now? It feels like everyone I'm is trying... Sure. Sorry? I'm not sure. Yeah, I have no idea. It feels like everyone is being sold as like an attractive young person and not necessarily as a comedic performer. Yeah, they'd have to be, like, from TikTok or something. <laughs> Honestly, I was thinking, like, if we're willing to uh, change the race of Wonka, uh, the, the kid from Grand Budapest Hotel, what's that guy's name? Oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tony Re- Revolori? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could probably do it. Like, he's even got, like, I don't know, he's got a Wonka vibe. <laughs> Honestly, I agree. I think he's fantastic. And yeah, he's, yeah, speaking of Tom Holland, he's really great as like the comedic kind of Brock, uh, the, like the bully of Spider-Man, uh, yeah. but like a, like the millennial version of it. I think he's, he's really great as that, uh, that role. Uh, my other, my other vote is, uh, Skylar, I think his name's Skylar Gazondo. He's, uh, yes, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, he's. Uh, he is one of he's in the Righteous Gemstones. Yeah, he's a little comedic he, weirdo. He was in the Wahad American Summer TV show. He was also in the Social Dilemma as a kid who gets influenced by social media and goes to a protest and gets killed. Okay, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect Wonka casting. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's um, yeah. That's basically all I've been watching. I've been watching so many things, but. That's <laughs> that's the gist of it. What have you been watching? Um, I saw Asteroid City. I know you saw that. Oh, what did you think What'd of you it? Think? I actually, I liked it. I, I enjoyed watching it. Um, I enjoy, uh, like I said, I'm into this later stage Wes Anderson, and I enjoy just like even though they seem kind of like more technical exercises than anything, I do like just kind of going into those worlds and seeing seeing the the quirky the quirkiness. I enjoy it. Um, I didn't really connect with this one. I feel like there was a... I feel like I was kind of distracted by, like, the complexity of it. Like, it's got this multiple layer thing going on. And for a lot of the movie, I'm just kind of thinking about the movie. Um, I didn't really feel, like, emotionally connected to any particular part of the movie. Um, 
you know, I'm okay. I'm, That's fair. I'm watching these characters say that they're experiencing grief, but I'm not really feeling that they're experiencing grief. Um, I think the most interesting part of the movie to me is just trying to figure out. Like it is, it's kind of a movie I want to see again. But I think uh, the interesting part to me is trying to figure out like, okay, so it is a play inside of a documentary about the making of the play, right? That's kind of what it is, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> and so... I'm a little uncertain, but yes. Because it's like, <laughs> like Brian Cranston is kind of t- like introducing this documentary about the making of this play. And yes, so we are yeah. watching the play, we are watching the actors trying to make the play, and then we are watching Brian Cranston talk about those actors <laughs> and the playwright trying to make the play. Um, Correct, yes. So... The part that's interesting to me is when you're watching the play, which is called Asteroid City, when are those actors breaking? When are those actors in character versus when are they exposing part of themselves? Um, and that is something on a rewatch I would like to try and look for. Because there's totally. there's one part towards the end where it feels very much like, you know, the actor is performing what the character should perform. However it is transcending the boundaries of the play and entering kind of the real world. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I fucking loved it. I took my dad to go see it. And like he's on, the only Wes Anderson movie he's seen is the Royal Tenenbaums. Mm, okay. <laughs> this one like completely just fried his brain. Yeah. <laughs> just like, it's just like, what the fuck is going on <laughs> in this movie? And I was just like, honestly, I don't know either. <laughs> it's like, yeah, after Grand Budapest, that was like the last, like, now he's just the, the Wes Anderson mirror is just turned towards himself. And there's, I know comments on online about this kind of being a commentary on, like grief and this like post COVID kind of feeling hmm. of uncertainty and like, how do we go forward and why do we go forward and what is our purpose and kind of contrasting that with the extraterrestrial um, space theme. I think that really worked. I really just love that both of those things really go hand in hand. And I think the exploration of space and the uncertainty of life are just like those things pair very nicely and to yeah. see the Wes Anderson version just really worked for me. But yeah, it is also intersected with like, what's going on with uh edward norton and like his like his relationship with uh jason uh, schwartzman jason schwartzman's actor yeah like there's just a lot going on it's yeah it's it's it's, it's a it's a feast it's a lot it's a lot to, lot to digest yeah there's this like this element of interior versus exterior that i don't know presents itself in so many different ways like one the interior of the play versus the exterior of the performers performing in the play to the interior of asteroid city versus the exterior of outside of the quarantine zone the, the rest of the world one the interior of earth versus the exterior of space <laughs> yeah. uh, we have characters jason schwartzman and scarlett johansson their whole it feels like their entire emotional the entire emotional development of their relationship happens when th- with them inside of their rooms, talking outside of their windows to each other. Um, yeah. So it feels like Wes Anderson's most complicated movie. And so I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. I just don't necessarily know if I liked it. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, I need to see yeah, it again. To me, it felt like his most referential. So it's like it was being like, okay, like you expect me to do this certain thing. I'm just going to address it and like, 
give it give it like okay we're gonna have a very Wes Anderson kind of romance where it's just like a frame within a frame and it's just like just this very stiff rotating camera and these landscape shots and we're gonna go go crazy with the Kodak and make the world look like sherbet ice cream somehow I don't know how they did that mm. but it, it's, I'm just like okay go for it <laughs> have fun I'm I'm all for it yeah good for as him as long as Jeffrey Wright keeps getting the phone calls I'm happy I will keep showing up yeah. Um, so yeah, I watched Asteroid City. I watched Mission Impossible Three, the J.J. Abrams one, which I'd never seen nice. before. Um, Hoffman. Yeah, probably the best Impossible villain. I don't remember any of the other Mission Impossible villains, but I feel like I will remember Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, uh, yeah, I need to I rewatch him. It's, it's yeah. I think as a like as a J.J. Abrams movie, it's probably one of his better movies. I I, I feel like I need to rewatch. Uh, Star Trek. I remember liking that as a teenager, but you know, I was a much dumber uh, audience member at that time. <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, I had a good time with it. There's like a shocking death pretty early on in the movie that is like incredibly disturbing and such a huge bummer. Uh, do you know I what I'm talking I about? I know what you're. T- Doesn't involve a face. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> it sucks, man. It involve a face. It was melting? such a bummer, and I think I think the movie works better because, like, I I hadn't seen it, but I've seen I think every other Mission Impossible movie. I think it works better after you've seen everything else because if this was the introduction of Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise's, uh, you know, marriage to I forget what the Michelle Monaghan is that her name, um, perhaps this wouldn't. Like, I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't connect to these characters on a human level, but because I've already seen their relationship in other movies, it, it, it worked for me. Um, so yeah, I, like, I've seen people make that criticism that, like, there's, there's a human element missing, but the goodwill is already there since I've already seen the other movies. So it, so it worked better for me, but, um, for sure. Yeah. So I watched that. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say this. That's a weird one. When it was two thousand six, yeah, I remember like renting Mission Impossible two and being like, "This is the coolest thing." But and John by the time three showed up, yeah, I was like, by the time three showed up, I was like, "This, like, yeah, this looks awesome." But I, the only thing I remember of that movie is yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and then that that very gruesome. Yeah, thing. I need to go back and. Yeah, they're on like number six or seven right now. So there's, there's a lot of these. There's movies. a really great moment. Like I've I've seen people complain about like the way action is shot and in Mission Impossible three, and there are some problems where it feels like you're getting a close up of Tom Cruise and everything behind him is kind of blurry. Like you you don't really have the context for what he's doing. But then there are other moments where it's like there's a part where Tom Cruise throws a gun to Carrie Russell. He like throws a pistol to Carrie Russell. She catches it, turns around a corner and just starts blasting fools. And her face is like all lit up and there's like sparks <laughs> shooting out from behind her. And it's like, yeah, like this fucking rules. Like this is an incredible, incredible moment. Yeah. Um, yeah I remember like when the discussion was kind of going on about these kind of getting rekindled when brad bird showed up mm-hmm. and they were like hold on like yeah they're like oh like now they're good quote unquote but i was like hold on a second like the first one's done by brian de palma and yeah, like has on. some pretty iconic stuff like the second one's john woo like you can't just like don't like uh what's it called? Uh, revisionist history and <laughs> mission impossible like i think these are all like pretty solid and there's a reason why they're like iconic as they are yeah 
Yeah, the, the trailers for Dead Reckoning Part 2 have been playing constantly, but they still have some insane-looking stuff happening. Yeah, and if your weakest entry is a John Woo film, where, like, Tom <laughs> yeah. Cruise is jumping off a motorcycle to tackle a guy in midair, and, like, there's, you know, doves flying around and shit, yeah. like, hell yeah. Like, what an incredible yeah. franchise. Yeah, and if, man, every time they do the mask reveal, I'm always like, fuck yeah, like, dude, dude pull the face off, do a mask reveal, <laughs> like, it's, it always works for me, like, yeah, so I, I might I might follow your footsteps on that and, and revisit. We're seeing the new one, we're seeing the new one Sunday at 9.30 a.m., if you want to come out. Ah, sweet. <laughs> at um, so I'm going to see Dead & Co. the date the night before, and I'm probably going to be on LSD. Okay, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have a good one, dude. Yeah! Um, but I'm going to the moon. Yeah, so fi- final thing I want to talk about was uh, I watched a Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which is, I believe it's Dario Argento's first movie. Um, let me double check that okay. real quick, because I, I don't want to be wrong about that. But um, when I think of Dario Argento, I usually think of, you know, very colorful uh, sort of nightmare energy. And when I say nightmare energy, I mean, you know, one, it's surreal. Two, it's 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 hor- horrifying. It, yeah, hor- horrifying and operating on dream logic. Like nothing really makes sense. That's what I think of when I think of Dario Argento. And yeah. uh, Bird with Crystal Plumage. I just looked it up. It is his first movie. I think it's based on a book, um, but it doesn't have that exaggerated color palette that I expect from Dario Argento. It doesn't necessarily have the nightmare logic. Um, but it's totally fucking solid, and I think it like it. I think it totally works for uh, the theme of detective stories too, because it is just a guy. So, so the movie is about a guy who witnesses uh, an attempted murder, and he is initially a suspect, but then he quickly becomes like, you know, an asset to the police. Uh, they feel like this guy can help them solve this the series of murders that have been happening because he's the only person who has been a witness to one of them. Um, And so he starts getting into it, starts trying to solve this case and eventually he starts getting threats. Um, So it's, it's a very solid just detective story. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't feel as surreal. It doesn't feel as horrifying. It kind of feels like um, if like, you know, we have our idea of what David Lynch is like, what if we went back into his history and we saw that his first movie was The Elephant Man, which is like a very like kind of a lot more straightforward, not nearly as surreal and not nearly as wacky. If we realize like that's how he started, like that's how Birds with Crystal Plumage is. It's like, oh, he got his Gosh. he got his start making like just this very solid kind of grounded story um, that doesn't have like his stylistic qualities that we you know usually expect. Um, but it's also surprisingly funny for a Dario Argento movie um, mm-hmm. which yeah I wasn't expecting so it totally it totally works whether you're interested in detective stories or whether you're interested in just like where did Dario Argento come from I think it's absolutely worth watching yeah nice uh, that's all for me right on right on okay need to decide what the next one is so I I kind of feel like I chose Who Framed Roger Rabbit, even though that was like our, uh, we used that to kind of fill in the gap of Under the Crystal Lake. Yeah. Got messed up. Um, so, yeah, I have 
two things I'm kind of choosing from. One that's more of a revered film, and one that's a little bit more trashy. <laughs> okay. What are you thinking? I have... Um, the re- Sorry, I'll, I'll say I have one in mind, too, that I kind of want to watch. But, yeah, maybe, maybe you should go ahead. Okay, the one I want to revisit is a film I watched when I was in Korea this past year. It's uh, Memories of Murder by Bong Joon-ho. Okay. Um, uh, might be a little grim as far as... To- uh, sorry, uh grim as far as what it's about but it is one of those movies where it's considered one of the best korean uh one of the best korean films and one of the best like detective films and so i think that either choosing something dope like that or something uh, <laughs> trashy like hard to kill because hard I to kill. oh god <laughs> okay so the one i was thinking about because we've watched uh the long goodbye I it made me want to watch The Big Sleep because I don't really know anything about this Philip Marlowe character and I oh, and I've yeah. never seen it before. 1946 Humphrey Bogart. It is a throwback, yeah. but um, yeah, I'm down for that. I'm down for that. I mean, I'm also down for Memories of Murder uh, because I think you know both of the movies we've watched are have been U.S. movies. Maybe it'd be cool to go outside. Um, should we should we flip okay. a coin or something? <laughs> Coin. I think I have a I have a penny in front of me. Actually, here we go. Give the man a coin. Okay. Uh, to flip for a film. What's heads? Heads, big. Heads, big sleep. Tails. Yeah. Tails, murder. Okay. Sure. It's heads. Cool. Bogart. Big sleep. Alright. Awesome. Classic. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Check back in with us. On the next one, we're going to talk about the big sleep. Very cool, very cool, very cool detective story. So yes, this has been the long goodbye. If you would like to contact us, you can email us vaguezonepod at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or theme suggestions, let us know. You can tweet at us at vaguezone. Let us know what you're watching. This has been episode 129. I'm Thomas. And I am Daniel. See you next time. There's a long goodbye And it happens every day When some passerby Invites your eye To come her way Even as she smiles a quick hello You let her go You let the moment fly